Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. This morning's readings from the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 1 to 9, the English Standard Version. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me to give to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of man. This reading is from John four sixteen through 26. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Thanks, babe. Have you seen those videos of people who hear for the first time? I saw one recently. It was a little child, 
and she was probably around three years old, and they put whatever they do to help her to be able to hear. And, and they put the thing on, they turn it on, and then her dad talks to her, and she just freaks out, right? She's just overwhelmed. And then her mom starts talking to her and she just buries her head and is overwhelmed because it's too much. It's too much. They have to turn it off for a second and help her to regain her composure because hearing these people who she's known for the first time was too much for her to handle. I think sometimes that's a picture of us spiritually. Like we we want to know what God has to say, but if we were to actually hear what he is saying to us, actually see what he wants to show us, we'd probably be saying, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. It's a little too much. And so Jesus is trying to communicate to us in ways that will help us get past our blindness. Our irrational minds so often don't get it. There's so many roadblocks, prejudices, things that we are set in that are stopping us from seeing all that God is doing. And so how does he help us to get there? G.K. Chesterton wrote, fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. And so what we saw last time was that, gosh, what's going on with this thing? Okay, it ain't, yep, it's freaking out. Okay, so you guys, we're going to forget that because I'm going to freak out if I have to keep watching it. We saw Jesus talking to Nicodemus and he started talking about birth and wind, but he wasn't talking about birth and wind. He was talking about something more. He was trying to help him to see what the kingdom of God is like, to him to experience God. And he had to get past the way he was seeing things, the way he was hearing scripture to understand. And the story that Corrine read, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman about water, but he's not talking about water. He's talking about something more. He's trying to help her to see something more. Now, how does this portion of John's gospel help us to understand the other portions, even of what Ted read? There are two things that stand out to me in this story here. The first thing is mentioned there that She's a woman, of course, that's redundant. But in verse 27, it says, just then the disciples, they came back, they marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or or why are you talking with her? The reason this stood out to them is because no rabbi would be seen talking alone to a woman, let alone a Samaritan. And it wasn't because, oh, no, it'll be a scandal. It's because they thought women were beneath them and it was not necessary to have that conversation. Okay, I I know it's a terrible thing. It was in the culture at that time. That's how they saw things. And so why would a rabbi waste his time talking to this woman? 
But what we start to see in John's gospel is a more pronounced interaction with various women. And it happens throughout his gospel. Now, there's a couple of women in the synoptic gospels that actually get Jesus to do what they say. One is very uh, clever and the other one's a little tricky, right? There's the woman who's a Canaanite woman whose child is oppressed with demons and she goes to Jesus and she's begging him to please help her child and he is not speaking to her at all. He's ignoring her and the disciples finally chime in and they say, Lord, this woman is bothering us. Make her go away. And then Jesus talks to her and he says, woman, it's not right for me to give bread for the children to the dogs. Now, if that sounds harsh, it was. And we might look at it and say, man, Jesus, that's not one of your better moments. But what it really is, is a test. I believe for the disciples. That's right, Jesus. We're not here for them and for her. And this woman responds to Jesus instead of taking that and just like, well, forget you then. And she's leaving. She says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the children's table. And Jesus says, oh, woman, your faith is great. It's done. And Jesus is moved by her faith. And then we have the woman with the issue of blood who thinks, if I just touch even the the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Now, she wasn't supposed to. In, In her tradition, she was defiled. She was unclean. If she did that, she would be defiling him. And she does that. And he senses that virtue has left him. And he says, who touched me? The disciples are like, what do you mean? Everyone's crowding around you. No, he says, someone touched me and the woman is there. She's healed and she's weeping. And she said, it was me. And he says, woman, your faith has healed you. Those are two of the examples in the synoptic gospels, but we don't see a whole lot of interaction. And here with the Samaritan woman, it's very different. You know, the, the woman who is begging Jesus, he, he, she's talking to him saying, please help me, help me. And he's giving her silence. He's ignoring her. But in this situation and in this story, Jesus initiates the conversation. He's not waiting To answer, he starts the conversation. And the other woman who is sneaking, trying to just get a hold of him, Jesus is the one who starts and actually starts the conversation with her. And so we we see that there is a different posture with Jesus in John's gospel towards women than in the synoptics. We see that he's much more intentional, that he's moving forward with that. And he's wanting us to see that women are very much a part of what God is doing. Now, again, that might not seem like a lot to us, but it was enough for John to say, even after knowing the other gospels, more needs to be said here. In fact, remember when Jesus goes to help or speak at Martha and Mary's house where Lazarus lived, Martha got upset. 
Why? Because Mary was sitting at his feet. Tell her to help me. It wasn't just because she wanted help. It was because Mary is sitting as a disciple. Women can't sit there. That should not be allowed. And John's gospel, it's there. And John's gospel, it really puts women in a forefront and elevates them in a way that the other gospels don't. So much so that it's noted here, right? And he starts to include women into this evangelical process, this taking this gospel forward where this Samaritan woman runs back to town and tells everybody, come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. This has got to be the Messiah. He's got to be the one. And everyone comes out to meet him and they end up staying in Samaria, which is a town that was not welcomed by the Jews, that was not seen as a place you would be. You'd be defiled living there. It's not a place that any practicing Jew would go and stay and Jesus stays there. And so we start to see this interaction where she opens the door for Jesus to stay and they believed on him no longer just because of what she said, because they heard it themselves. But how did they hear it? This woman did that. And so we start to see that John is trying to take us a little further than the synoptics did in this one area. The second area that I think is important to highlight is that she was a Samaritan. Now, in the synoptic gospels, the Samaritans are very much stereotyped, right? When sending out the disciples, Jesus' first instructions that they do not enter any towns of Samaria. You're going to go, but don't go to Samaria. That is, don't take the gospel to them. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. And then one time, a Samaritan village closed its gates to Jesus As they were heading to Jerusalem, they said, no, you can't come through our town. Maybe they were trying to get some food or something, but they stopped them. And remember, James and John said, hey, this is our chance. Want us to call fire down and get them, right? We've been waiting for this. This is our chance. Let's do it now, right? And Jesus says, you don't know what manner of man you are. It reveals the prevailing attitude, right? This is what we think of them. We are God's chosen people. They are others. Even in John's gospel, an insult thrown at Jesus is in John 8, verse 48. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? You see, they were putting him down saying, you're a Samaritan and have a demon. Why would they say that? Well, probably because he went in a town and stayed with the Samaritans. And to them, it was an insult. And for this reason, it's a surprise whenever Jesus presents Samaritans in a positive light. Like the parable of the good Samaritan. How can a Samaritan be good when they are those people? And so he's reversing things. There's the story of the cleansing of the leopards, 10 lepers, and only one comes back, and it was a Samaritan. 
John is going out of his way to not only elevate women, but to elevate these people, these others, these people who were considered half-breeds, these people who were not looked upon favorably by the Jews. It says that he had to go through Samaria. It's interesting because most of the rabbis would go another way. In fact, one of the areas that Jesus could have gone would have been through Nazareth. Later on in John, in this chapter, John will say, but a prophet is not without, a prophet is without honor in his own home. But Nazareth isn't mentioned here. It's mentioned in the other gospels. But again, John would know, you know that he came from Nazareth because we've seen that. We actually heard that when he talked to Philip and he says, anything good come out of Nazareth? Right, so there's these allusions like, you know that he came from Nazareth and he could have went through Nazareth, but he didn't go through Nazareth. He needed to go to Samaria. Why did he need to go through Samaria? Because there are people there that he cares about, that he needs to reach. Where most religious leaders took a longer journey to skirt around Samaria, Jesus intentionally went there. He had to go there. There was no other way to reach the people there than to go through there. And the invitation to eternal life includes now Samaritans and includes the Gentiles. And what I find so interesting is the focus here on how much Jesus revealed to this Samaritan woman. There are so many things that he uncovers to her that we don't see him doing to even the disciples. And Why is this so important to John? Why is he bringing this out? And think about this. Remember through the book of Acts, Peter is on his housetop praying and he has a vision that says, whatever God has cleansed, don't call common or unclean with all these different foods. And then there's a knock on the door from Cornelius, the Roman centurion, the Gentile, who also has a vision saying, go and get Peter. And Peter's there and he goes, I think God's saying something. I'm going to go. And he goes there. And what does he say when he goes to Cornelius' house? He goes in and he goes, you know, I'm a Jew and I'm not supposed to be here, but God said to come here, that's why. It's almost like he's making an excuse of why he's there. This is Acts chapter 10. Shouldn't he know this by now? What about in Galatians where Paul rebukes Peter to his face because he's sitting at a table with the Gentiles and when some Jews come, he gets up and he leaves because he doesn't want to be associated with them. Shouldn't he know that by now? You see, John's writing the gospel these years later and he says, I need to make a point here. Something needs to be known because Jesus did this. Jesus said this, but it's starting to get forgotten and it needs to be prominent that he is here for them. And there's this evolution that's taking place even in the Gospels, even in the book of Acts to the Gospel of John as Jesus is looking back saying, guys, don't you remember what he did to these people and what he said to that woman and how he included them? We need to make sure we don't lose this. And just as there's an evolution taking place in their time where Peter says, okay, okay, I don't want to go there. It's against me, everything I've grown up believing, but I believe that this is what God is doing. So I need to step out and do it 
I think God is constantly doing these things. And that's why there has to be an awakening. That's why they have to turn that hearing device on so that I can hear. I have to put those glasses on so that I can see what is God doing that maybe he wasn't doing or maybe I just didn't see him doing before. And it's uncomfortable and it's beyond my ability to understand. But this looks like where God is going. He is elevating the role of women. They are going to be a part of his work. And he is welcoming these Samaritans. And they are here too. Jesus talks to this woman. And he gives this statement, some powerful statements that I think illuminate what he's trying to bring about even in light of what's there in the Synoptic Gospels. In verse 10, Jesus answered her and says, if you knew the gift of God, which is just an amazing sentence, if you knew the gift of God, it's like, what? What is the gift of God? I want to know the gift of God. And who it is that is saying to you, give me to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Remember last chapter, you must be born again. This chapter, living water. Jesus is bringing this woman into the same conversation that he just had with the religious leader. This Samaritan woman is now being brought into the gift of God. And this captures the spiritual conscience of Jesus and those people, the contemporaries in that culture. Now, throughout the other Gospels, the idea of the gift of God and what God is doing is seen in Luke chapter 19. And when he drew near and and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Right? I am here for you, but you don't recognize me. The woman, he says, if you knew the gift of God who is asking you for water, you would have asked him for living water. You see, the gift of God is Jesus. In Matthew chapter 22, you were wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God, speaking to the Pharisees. You don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. What is that? It's me. He's talking about himself. They didn't see. They didn't recognize. And who is Jesus revealing the truth to? It is the Samaritan woman. Jesus came to let them know this truth. John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Who has made him known? The Son, the anointed one. No one has ever seen God. The only anointed one has made him known. Jesus' briefest statement to the woman says it all. Right? The, the woman says to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, it's translated that way so that we can understand it. But the Greek sounds awkward, but it's more to the point. Jesus said, I am the one speaking to you. 
And he uses that phrase, I am. And John's gospel is known for all the I am's of Jesus because it is a reference all the way back to Exodus when Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me? He says, I am that I am has sent you, right? It's the name that God uses and now Jesus is using it. In verse 12, the woman asked Jesus, are you greater than Jacob? That's the question, and this is the revelation. Yes, I am. In the synoptics, the divinity of Jesus is alluded to, but in John's gospel, it is bold. See, in the synoptics, it's alluded to by the miracles. No one could do these things, right? It's miraculous. It's alluded to in the virgin birth. It's alluded to in these things, but in John's gospel, this powerful statement, I am. And they wanted to stone him because of his blasphemy, making yourself out to be God. John wants us to know this, and he's making it clear. In Matthew 12, Jesus and his disciples are accused of not observing the Sabbath. Right? They, they're eating grain. They didn't wash their hands. They didn't do things. And, and Jesus says, don't you remember when David went to the temple and ate the bread that was exclusive for the priests? And he says, one greater than the temple is here. Right? That was supposed to defile the temple, but he's saying one greater than the temple is here. In the same chapter, he also said, something greater than Jonah is here. And then something greater than Solomon is here. See, the other gospel said something greater is here. John says, I am is here. And it's very prominent where the synoptics allude to Jesus' divinity in these ways or through the miracles. John lays the cards out on the table. Why? Why is this a big deal? Why, why is John spelling this out? Could it be that the magnitude of who Jesus was couldn't be clearly seen because of their own limitations, preconceptions, their own way of seeing this limited who he actually was? The enormity was only understood later after they remembered. Sometimes we are so blinded by the way we've been brought up, the things we've heard, the things we've learned, right? It's a cultural thing. If you had parents who were prejudiced and they taught you things about certain groups of people, you grew up believing that. And then you met these people and you said, wait a second, these people are actually just as nice as everyone else. These people are actually just like me. But it takes time to confront the prejudice. It takes the ability to see it and say, no, that's wrong. Happens in our religious life too. Gosh, so many of us grew up thinking a certain way about denominations, maybe Catholics, How many of you read those chick pamphlets, right? The Pope's the Antichrist, according to those, right? And then you met a a priest 
who, or you read some of their works and you're like, man, this guy is amazing. How does this jive? That's the theological word, jive. (laughs) All of a sudden, your prejudices, your limitations start to erode by the truth that is being revealed. You see, they were experiencing that with Jesus. There was an evolving that took place with the disciples. When they lived and experienced these things, they did not fully understand. And John now is writing and he says, remember, he said this. This is what he did. This is who he is. This is who he's for. And they started to change. And I think that's important to see that there is a progression that takes place. You know, every church I know that starts always starts off with a study of the book of Acts, right? Because that's when the church started. That's what we did, right? We started, yeah, let's go through the book of Acts. Yeah, we're going to learn everything. What we really should have done is learned all their mistakes, right? They didn't get it right. They messed up so many times. There was a progression, progression, progression. It wasn't like this is the model. This is how it's had to be. No, we see growth. We see maturing. We see enlightening coming to them as they begin to understand more fully what God is doing, who God is reaching. And finally, Paul comes on the scene, and now it opens up to the Gentiles. In the beginning, they were so closed. They were so limited. It took persecution to get them out of Jerusalem. When John is saying, oh, he was there all along, this was his trajectory from the beginning. We just didn't see it. Understand this. The concept of God in the beginning has got to be something that by definition is that which is greater than we can understand. So how much mercy do you have? How much mercy do you think God has? How much love do you have? How much love do you think God has? Do you think you are going to be able to comprehend him? Even the word him. God's not a him. Right? Some people get all bent because, you know, well, they're using the, you know, different genders and stuff like that. Get past it. It's beyond that. We use words so that we can grapple with it. But God is not a him. God is not a her. God is God. And anytime you start to make it less than, you are missing who God is. Because God's not an it. This is beyond our ability to fully grasp. And so we use these stories to help us get a glimpse. There were the parables. There were the miracles that John now calls signs. And John, instead of doing parables, he tells stories like this one to help us get an inkling of the heart of God and what he is doing, especially doing it after the other synoptic gospels. And he's building and he's saying, don't forget this. Don't forget what he did here. Remember who he said he was. And he starts expanding these things. And so he's revealing himself. makes sense that the revelation of who God or here Jesus is, is going to grow because the more I get to understand God, the bigger God is. 
the more I understand love, the bigger love is. The more I understand grace, the bigger grace is. The more I understand humility, the better it is. It's something that you have to live. You have to learn. You have to get to know it. People didn't see this because their minds were blocked by what they thought they knew. What is blocking me? What do I think I know that I don't fully know yet? A lot. I know there's things there. Like I always tell you, every it used to be 10 years. Now it's like every two years I look back and say, man, I was dull. I was a little dense. That's just a few years ago. There's so much more. I know that my mind is limited. It's the things that I don't know, I don't know that I need to step into, that humility. There's more to my here and now experience than what I know. Yes, there's the well. Yes, there's the water jaw. Yes, the mountain where they worship and and all the things I see. And although the whole world of spirit is present, the same way the well, the water jar, the mountains can be the channels through which Jesus, Jesus awakens me. It can be all the things around me that he says like this, like this. John's spiritual commentary. If we encounter Jesus and listen carefully, his words can open our eyes and our ears. Again, notice in verse 10, Jesus mentions the gift of God, a free gift to the Samaritans, to this woman who had lived with five husbands and was living with a man who was not her husband. The gift of God is here. The gift of God is for her. Who else is the gift of God for? For those of us who were raised to feel unworthy, trained to be ashamed of ourselves, not just our behavior, but we're shamed because we are human. The gift of God is for you. God does not look at you in shame. God does not condemn you. Well, first I got to get know right where you are, right where this woman was, who she was. The gift of God was there. That's hard to accept. We read it and say, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, here's a story. That story is pointing to some deep stuff. There's some deep waters here. For those of us who have disqualified ourselves to learn from Jesus that what God has for us is a gift is probably the most wonderful news we could ever receive. I knew people who, because they were divorced, thought, oh man, I I can't be involved in, in ministry in any way because I've gone through a divorce because that's disqualified me. right? Because I've had an abortion, because I've done these terrible things. And here's Jesus saying, here's 
the gift of God. I am standing before you. Asking you for water. Trying to see that there is living water that can be given to you. It is the gift of God. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where the people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus is destroying the place idea. You know, it starts off where he's in Galilee, and he's moving on or from Judah to Galilee. And it ends kind of with the same way. And so this, it's, an, it's called an inclusio. And, and this idea of just studying where it's included. All the space in between. God is doing something. He, he is working. It, it's a spiritual commentary that Jesus is bringing spirit to us. That the place no longer matters. It doesn't have to be the Vatican. It doesn't have to be the temple in Utah. It doesn't have to be a building at all. It's where the spirit of God is. And he is everywhere. And now he's going to make us his temple. You see, Jesus is changing everything. Everything changes from here. Everything changes from here. And if the I am can go to the Samaritan woman at the well in Samaria and offer her a gift, the door is open. Don't try and close it. The door is open. It will not be closed. You will not hold him back The gospel is loose. Hallelujah. The gospel is loose. And it's touched my life and it's touched your life. And God, let us help it touch the lives of everyone we encounter. John is helping us to see how good the good news really is. Let's share it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would begin to capture what is being shared in these stories, Lord, that they are telling us about so much more that is happening. And God, the more I understand, the more I realize how much I don't understand. God, may we move with humility and grace. Father, I find myself like the disciples so many times wanting to call fire down from heaven to to destroy this that I think is bad and you're telling me you don't know the half of it. And Lord, as you move, may we move. As you extend grace, may we extend grace. As you show love, may we show love. May we continue to grow and evolve from a people who are blinded by tradition like the Pharisees who didn't understand what it was you were doing, didn't understand who you were, that made know what you were saying. Even though they knew what the law said, they did not have the spirit. God, may we not be blind like them. May your spirit direct us into all truth, even as it did here to this Samaritan woman.
thank you for this time, Lord. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. May you recognize the gift of God and that it's yours. May you see what you couldn't see before. May you hear what you've been deaf to. And the Spirit make alive God's love and presence where you are now. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.